So hearing that uh, bumper video, does that make you as anxious as I am? The heartbeat, boom, 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 boom. That's actually what I'm talking about today, so I found that interesting because that's the first time I've heard the bumper video. So um, I, I have a couple things I want to mention uh, before I get into my sermon. One thing is if you haven't yet and you're on Facebook, go check the video I made this morning because I scared the worship team. I wore a Chewbacca onesie and attacked them. So I was in, the, in honor of the harvest party. My wife is the reason I'm not wearing that Chewbacca onesie right now preaching because she thought that would bring a lack of seriousness to preaching this morning. So I was planning on doing it. It's in my office, but I decided against it. Um, and then a second thing is tomorrow the Vine Early Learning Center is opening. We passed an inspection Friday evening, or afternoon, and we're opening tomorrow. So tomorrow there's going to be 44 little kids in our building. And so I would ask, this is, this is something just totally uh, unexpected for, for most of you. Before you leave, can you just spend some time praying over that children's wing? So go back there and just pray with your family or something. Because there's going to be 44 kids, which multiplies to a lot more families that really probably have no connection to our church. And it's a great opportunity for kids to hear the gospel, just as much as our mission here at Sunlight Community Church. When we meet and we gather, is for, for people to hear the gospel. It will be there as well. So I'm excited about that. Um, let me pray as we go into the book of Philippians in our new series. So let me, let me start us off in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we just come before you and we ask that you would Open our hearts and our minds. Sometimes the things that we need to change, God, you know are, are, are painful things. Sometimes wounds that need to heal. Sometimes anxieties that we just can't get rid of. Sometimes, sometimes depressions in our life and, and other emotions that, that make us feel like you don't love us or don't care about us or that, that something is wrong with us. And yet, God, you tell us to pray with expectation that you are going to answer. Pray with thankfulness for what you've given us. Pray for the next breath that you've given us. So this morning, as we look at Philippians chapter 4, help us to examine our lives in such a way that we leave with different expectations on what you're going to do in our lives. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like you to welcome you both if you're here with us in person or online at home. Um, I'm a little jealous if someone's on their couch wearing a Chewbacca onesie while they're watching me preach. I'm a little jealous, okay? But if you are, you're getting the same message in two different places. So we're excited because we're starting a new series for November called Attack of the Heart. Today we're going to be in the book of Philippians. It's my favorite book and my favorite passage and my favorite book in the New Testament. And so we are going to be talking in this series about the heart we need to have to be able to overcome some things that are commonly behind what we do. We need to overcome anxiety or depression to live a life filled with joy, peace, thankfulness, gratitude, generosity. What, how do we get to that point? Because sometimes when we're focused on ourselves, and I'm the first person to do this, when we start focusing on ourselves, we start missing the needs around us. We're going to see in Philippians that there's a remedy for attacks of anxiety to those who follow Jesus. 
There are things to focus on in life and leave negative self-talk behind. Have you ever been picked last at school as a kid? Do you guys have any memories of that? Where it's like, you're at, you're at PE and everyone knows you're terrible at kickball. The last time that you paid, played kickball, you missed the ball and you slipped and fell on your back, right? Those are the kind of things that we say, I can never play kickball again. Or I can never do this. Or I can never go there. Or I can never be around. Those are the kind of things that we need to leave in our past. So if you have our app, you can click on that at the top of the feed. You'll have the notes with you. If you're watching online, you'll need to watch on one device and pull it up on another device. Because today we're going to talk about the expectation of joy and peace. The expectation. C.S. Lewis once said, and I think this is, <laughs> this is one of his best quotes. It's only three words. Expectations are everything. Aren't they? I mean, I expect my kids, if they're potty trained, to be potty trained, right? That's a problem if they're not. Or maybe it's you expect to go to a restaurant, and when you pay for a meal, you expect to get what you ordered. You ever have that happen, where it's like something else, and you're like, uh, this is not what I ordered? So we have expectations. Timothy Keller took it even further, and I, I'm going to wait. The, the media people have a slide for you, but I'm going to have them wait to put that up, Okay. So I'm going to have you guys imagine something with me. He had this illustration, I think this is very important, especially for this passage. If before I lead you in the room that we're going to show in a minute, you're going to see a picture. Now, when we get to this room, this is what I'm going to tell you. Now, when we get to this room, let me tell you what it is. It's the honeymoon suite. It's the honeymoon suite. Some of you are already laughing. It's the honeymoon suite. And so you say, okay, let me see it. I want to see the honeymoon suite. That's great. So you walk on in, and you look around, and you say, what a dump. But if before going in the same room that you will see in a moment, I tell you it's a jail cell, right? And I tell you it's a jail cell. It's not the honeymoon suite. It's a jail cell. You walk in with different expectations. So this is the room. So just imagine this with me. Okay, this is the honeymoon suite. Anyone excited to stay there for a honeymoon suite? Uh, I'm thinking about the bed bugs myself. I mean, it's got a microwave. I guess you could eat there. Decorations aren't too great. But what if I told you that was a jail cell? You'd be like, yeah, sign me up. If I have to go to jail, I want that jail cell rather than the one without the microwave and the fridge. Having a microwave and fridge assumes that you have extra food and stuff, so that's a good thing. You come in with different expectations, and you probably say, pretty nice place. That's not too bad. I think I can serve six months there rather than than in a jail cell? Because the expectations are the filter in which you see the world. It's the filter in which you see the world. And when you're reading this passage and what you're seeing in this passage, your expectations are going to color how you apply the passage. So a lot of Christians lose their joy and peace because of their expectations. They assume life's going to be easy. They assume that the book of Job is really just a book uh, we read occasionally when someone's life is going really bad, but instead it's not. It's, it's a text that shows us that we can still have joy and peace despite our circumstances. We don't expect attacks on peace and joy. Most of our anger as Christians is because we think it's not supposed to be like this. Like it should be better than this. It's not like this. This is not how it should be. And yet it's a problem with expectations. So when you follow Jesus, instead of having one enemy, when you don't follow Jesus, you only have one enemy. Did you know that? 
If you came in the room today and you're like, I'm just hearing this pastor for the first time and I've never been to this church. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have one enemy and that is God. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you pursue him, you have many enemies you're at war with. You have three main enemies, though. The world, the flesh, and the devil. If our expectations don't change, we're going to be destroyed. It's not, oh, I'm following Jesus, I'm going to church, and now my life is going to be completely simple and easy. It's actually now, you've multiplied your enemies, but guess what? Those same enemies have no power over you. There's so much, there's, they're, they're like, it's the difference between, when I was a kid, we had micro-machines, you guys ever seen those? They're like little, small, like little models. Some of you are shaking your heads. So they're little, small models. It's like, imagine this. There's a micro-machine this size, right? And it's the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. I know, that's, that's my reference. And then I have the Lego Millennium Falcon that's like this big. It's like your enemies have just shrunk in size, in power, and yet we're more worried because there's more of them. But the reality is there's more of them, but they, don't, they can't do anything. This sermon is going to be a little bit like smelling salts for some of us, and maybe for all of us. Smelling salts are a really, really good thing if you're knocked out. If you're, if you're not awake to something, but it's not pleasant and it's not fun. Anyone ever have smelling salts? I want to, I want to see if anyone's ever had It's terrible. It is terrible. But it is what you need when you're unconscious and knocked out on the ground. So consider this passage a wake-up call regarding peace and joy in your life that you can experience if you follow Jesus. Because I can tell you for certain that everyone, right now, our anxiety level is higher than it was one calendar year ago. It doesn't matter who you are. There's some things that have just changed. But I can tell you, if you're pursuing this joy and this peace that we'll talk about in this passage, your anxiety level is probably not even higher. Maybe it's even lower. If we change expectations, we move from our heart being attacked by anxiety to being filled with peace, joy, and gratitude. So we're going to ask one question, and all my points today answer this one question. So this is something, if you write notes, this is what you want to write down. How can I apply the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? How can I apply the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Every point I make today is going to answer that question. Directly from the passage, this is not a a complete comprehensive list, but this is what this passage shows. How can I do this on a daily basis? So turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to start in verse 4, and we'll go through verse 9 this morning. I want you to know that how I remember where Philippians is, is Gentiles eat pork chops, okay? Because Gentiles are the only ones that eat pork chops in the Bible, so but, but it's, it's pretty easy. It's one of the, the four epistles right in the middle of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read through verse 7 here. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Anyone ever sing that song as a kid? Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay. You want me to stop there? My, I'm totally off key. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So what's the question we're going to be asking today? What's the question we're going to be asking today? Anyone? Can you guys say it really loud? Let's say it together. So how can I apply the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? We're going to answer that question. And so the first answer is discover joy in Jesus Christ. Discover joy in Jesus Christ. We wake up in the morning, and if your house is anything like mine, there's some days where you don't sleep well. Doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's got like back pain. Maybe it's got like kids running around. Whatever it is, there's some morning you wake up. Maybe you're just a teenager and you like to sleep 14 hours. I mean, it doesn't matter. There's some days, you, but you still have to wake up and pursue and discover joy. Joy should be what defines followers of Jesus, no matter what our circumstances are. You have to realize Paul is writing this from prison. He is, he is not in a good place. It's not a place to have joy. And it says rejoice. And again, I, rejoice. We have joy from a source that cannot be overcome. A source that, that gives us joy and can't be taken away. Remember those three enemies? None of them can take away your joy. None of them. He was writing this, Paul. He was exposed to pain. He knew what it was like to be imprisoned for his faith. He knew what it was like to have disappointment in ways that probably we will never experience in our lifetime. Being betrayed by people, by friends. And maybe we have too. So Paul's writing this from a place where he knows your experience. He's not writing it off on his ivory tower. He's writing it as a person that's been through what you've been through. This is the person that God chose to share his message of joy. He is the one that had many attacks on his heart. In the book of Acts, there's a moment where he's in prison, and he's praying for revival, and God opens up the jail, and you know the miraculous thing in that story? Is the next thing that happens is, no one runs free, because they're so focused on what God's doing there. They're so focused. I mean, honestly, if the jail walls fall down, don't you think people would run free? They'd want to go free. But they didn't. That's the Paul. The heart behind the message is a leader that knows what we were going through because they experienced what we experienced. Being reasonable, as one of my friends wrote, was having a disposition that seeks to diffuse conflict. When he, when he talks about being reasonable, diffuse conflict and bring restoration. It's not just addressing sin, and, but it's also not letting everyone walk all over you. It's being kind and gentle at the same time as others. As you, as you be kind and gentle to others as Jesus has been to us while we were still enemies. God was kind to us even though we didn't know him, and he was still our enemy at the time. So here's, here's some questions I have as I read this passage. Do people see a gentle spirit in you? Do they see a person of restoration? Do they see a joy that cannot be eclipsed by your circumstances? You're having a bad day, but you still have joy. Do you, do you think that we, as a church, as individuals, as members of the body of Christ, if we can change our expectations about peace and joy? Because sometimes our expectations are, I want this. And, and, and more often than not, if I have someone to come, come to me, 
for counseling, it's because there's an issue, but the issue is never the issue. There's something else going on, something underneath that. And we get to the point where it's like, this is actually what I want. And that's, I don't have that. And I'm like, will, will you ever have that? No. You're just going to be unhappy all the time because that's not what God's given you in this time. And so our expectations need to change about the joy God gives us. What are the, what's the question we're asking again? You guys will never forget this question. My wife says it's too repetitive. So how can I apply the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Two, we can discover peace in Jesus Christ. Verses 6 and 7 in this passage have a parallel in Matthew chapter 6. It's very similar. I encourage you to go there. If you, if you are struggling with anxiety, Matthew chapter 6 is a great chapter to read. There's different anxieties identified there in Matthew. Food, health, clothing, and what tomorrow will bring. And I can tell you all four of those are things that I've directly or indirectly felt the impact of this year. I know that we're feeling this. I can't be alone in this. What's tomorrow going to bring? And if I focus so much on tomorrow, I forget about today. And then if I, if I focus so much on, on, on food or health or clothing, things can come out of balance rather than being focused on the Lord. And those are all common to us now. I mean, this year, who has not thought what's tomorrow going to bring? Who has not thought that? That's a perfect week to say it, right? Tuesday's election day. Who's, what's going to happen afterwards? I don't know. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, there's four solutions presented. Four solutions to the anxiety that you feel with those things. Remember God's love for his people. Doesn't God take care of the sparrow? Isn't he going to take care of you? It, it, it's, the second one is, remember God's sovereignty, which is a big word for, he is the one that has all control over all the universe. And he cares for you. He's sovereign. The third one, remember God's provision. You came in this morning, and most of you probably have a roof over your head, probably have a car to drive, that's how you got here, and you probably have food to eat. Well, guess what? If you have those three things, you're in the richest, like, I think it's 10% of the world. If those three things, if you're not, if you're not scarce food, if you, don't have, if you have shelter, and if you have a car, God has provided. And re- the fourth one is remember God's priorities. When we forget the priorities of God, we realize that if life was meant to be easy our whole lives, we can be lulled to sleep and never, never know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because life would be easy, right? But life isn't easy. So here in Philippians, we're given one answer that encompasses all of those ones given in Matthew. This is very general. So if you've, if you've struggled with anxiety in your life, this is not something specific to every person. But I think we need to understand that anxiety is really rooted in, in a lack of trust in God's care. God cares for me, so I won't, I, I'm provided for, and it's going to be okay. The reality is that can spiral. I remember in 2017, can, can you actually put up the next slide? Because I think this is really important. Anxiety and prayer are fire and water. They can't coexist. Your prayer can be anxious, but you can't be anxious during your prayer. Have you ever thought about this? Because your anxiety is presented, you're like, God, I just need to change. I need this to happen. I don't know what to do, and I'm emotional, and I can't figure it out. And it says the Holy Spirit, and when we hears the groanings of our hearts, and actually prays for us. So, so, so there's a lot going on there. 
going back to what I said about 2017, 2017 was a really long year, both for sunlight, for myself, and my family. And I remember a moment on a, uh, I think it was a Saturday night, I texted one of the elders of the church, and I'm like, I think I'm having a panic attack. I can't handle this. Like, I'm just, like, going crazy. My heart's, like, tensed up. I can't, I, I don't know, like, like, I feel tight in my chest. I just can't do this. My, my thoughts are spiraling. And I started to realize, I'm like, am I having a panic attack or am I having a heart attack? Well, I was only at the time 32, so I was like, eh, it's probably not a heart attack. Chances are. There's not that in my, my family's background, health background. And I started to realize in that moment that what I was trying to do was I was trying to do everything. And my ego wouldn't allow me to realize that God needed me to take a step back and needed me to let things just happen as they were going to happen. And it allow me to be the person that God had called me to be. Sometimes we're trying to be things we're not. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say today that that's not an issue in my life. But I know for most of us it is. We're trying to do things right now that it's just like, it's not who I am. All the changes this year, there's lots of anxiety because of it. And so anxiety and prayer, fire and water, they can't coexist. So I needed to go to the Lord in prayer and be like, God, I, I know I can't get this done but you're going to do it. You know how that flip-flopped? So I know this is like not related to Sunday mornings per se, but, but Things with the Vine has been a community effort. It's not just been our church involved in that. In fact, I would say it's like way broader than that. And, and I've seen the moment I take a step back from something, it still happens. Have you ever had that feeling where you realize like, hey, I need to take a step back? That's sometimes what we need to do because this next statement I'm going to say and it's almost better, it, it, it almost should be on, on a slide here, but we act self-sufficient, and in acting self-sufficient, we become functional atheists. Our prayer life decreases and our anxiety decrease, increases. So when our prayer life decreases, our anxiety decrease, or increases. We're told the solution to anxiety is prayer here, and, and that's not the end all, but that is, that is the all. Because if you're going to the one with all the power in the universe, don't you think that that should alleviate what's going on in your life? Paul tells us what circumstances, what means, and what attitudes our prayers need to have. Okay? Those are three things that are so important. The circumstances. It's almost like you could chant this. So, so circumstances are in everything. Every circumstance in your life, you go to God in prayer. Every circumstance. How hard is that? How hard to practice that is? Like, do you practice that? Like, you're like, oh, no, something changed. Well, this whole year has been about change, so, and I don't like change, so I need to go to God right now. You ever interrupt a conversation and say, I think we should pray? That's what this is telling us. Big things, like praying for a loved one's salvation, choosing a spouse, a career, having children, choosing a school, or little things, like patients with bad drivers. You ever pray in your car instead of cuss out the driver? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, this guy's going so stinking slow and I'm late. Well, you're late because you left late, not because the driver's driving slow. Maybe it's a prayer about not knowing what food to eat. You ever walk? I'm very decisive with food. I go in places and I order right away. But I can say that most of my relatives and my own family, it takes a long time to order. Or maybe it's just overcoming daily difficulties. The circumstances are in everything. The means are prayer and supplication. 
Anyone ever use the word supplication outside of church? I just, I, I, it's really a curious question because I read this and I go, what is supplication? That does that, I mean, I'll, I'll use it in a sentence. Well, the other day I really had to use some supplication. Do you know what that means? No. Supplication means specifically urgent requests to God to meet a need. It's not just a general word for prayer. It's like, God, save me from the shark. (laughs) Okay? God, help me with this. Oh, God, no, I just got in a car accident. Please make sure that the other person's not injured. Like, those are the kind of prayer requests here. This is, that's what supplication is. So, when we're anxious... It means pray with urgency, pray with desperation, pray knowing that only God can change your situation. And then there's an attitude. It's with thanksgiving. We're thanking him in our prayers for the present and future in those same prayers. So God, God answers prayers, I, and I believe this, often he answers them immediately. Things are set in motion immediately. You may not see it till years later. I've had prayers that I've prayed that years later were answered. I've had prayers I prayed for my wife or my children or family members that happened years later. And then I'm like, all of a sudden it happened. It's like, boom. Well, that was set in motion years ago. Why didn't I see it? Well, we're not meant to see it all the time. Because we have faith in God that loves us and he will hear us and answer us according to his will. And so that's why this is so important. Prayer is a time to express our hopes and fears to a living God. It's two ends of the spectrum. It's hopes and fears. We have hopes and we have fears. And I would say that the harder one to pray about is probably fears when we're afraid of something. Revival happens when we're awakened to our self-sufficient functional atheism. And what I mean is, If you walk through your life and the only thing you do all week is come to Sunlight Community Church on Sunday morning and the whole week you never read your Bible, you never pray, you never do anything, that is functional atheism. That's all you're doing. You're just kind of going through the motions and you're like, I'm going to go to church. And then, and some of you may not want to hear that today. But, But the revival happens when we're awakened from that to become a people of prayer in anticipation of God's mighty action. We're anticipating something. It's coming. It's going to happen. And we're not leaving our hope at the door when we walk in to church and saying, well, it's, eh, I don't know, it's going to happen. But when our hearts are under attack, we can get more anxious and more anxious and more anxious, or we can spend time in prayer. Simple as that. Prayer is a result of thankfulness and gratefulness. When anxiety strikes, and it will, we have God on speed dial. We have God right right. He, he's ready to, to DM us. He's ready to text us. He's, re- he's ready to do whatever it takes for his children because he loves us. And he loves us better than our, our earthly fathers and mothers. Like the ones that, the father and mother that you grew up with, no matter how good they were, they still pale in comparison to the God of the universe and how much he loves you as his child. Totally pale in comparison. So how can we not be grateful for God sending his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for us? How can we not be thankful for the Holy Spirit and for the fruit that it produces in our lives? The result of prayers to God is that we have peace through Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something here. This is completely the opposite of what the world tells you. The world will tell you that you only are going to receive peace in your circumstances. 
And those circumstances depend differently on the person. Maybe it's, maybe it's your circumstances or I'm in a position of power. Or maybe it's I'm in a position where I'm rich. Or maybe it's I'm in a position where I'm, I'm healthy. Or maybe it's whatever circumstance it is. But the moment that's taken away from you, where is your heart? The world only offers peace based on circumstances. But God is producing the peace that we need. He's producing the peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's what it says there. And in peace in a Christian's life, we are guarded from attacks on our hearts, from a couple things, from difficult circumstances, from attacks from Satan. In Paul's time period, to give you some contrast, you had Caesar. They would call him the Holy Roman Empire, Emperor, claiming that he brought peace to the world by conquest through his army. Isn't that the opposite? He brought peace to the world by subjugating peoples all over the world. Today, now, you have two different ends of the spectrum. You have America first policies or nationalism that we're supposed to get peace as a result. Or you have the opposite, a foreign policy of globalism where both are supposed to give us peace, but neither one, the end result is peace. Neither one is going to give us peace. And, and that's the thing that we keep missing as, as, as believers, as human beings. But God is the only one that brings true peace to you and I. It's the only one. And I, I'm here to say it today, and I think this, this is probably our, our worst expectation that we have. Peace is not some warm, fuzzy feeling you feel inside. It's not a Hallmark movie, okay? It's not like at the end of the movie, everything works out. There are things in your life that you can still have peace and joy in Jesus Christ, and it's not going to work out the way you wanted it to. But it's sharing about Jesus with a neighbor. Is that easy? That same neighbor just says, I never want to talk to you again. It is, it is being the person God called you to be, despite resistance from others. The movie's not always going to end with the couple getting together on a Christmas tree farm, okay? It's just not going to happen. That's not peace and joy in Jesus. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to be humorous, but it's the, the reality is that's just not going to happen. Will that happen? I'm sure there's like infinite lives that have been impacted by God, the creator God, so there, there probably is someone that that's happened to. But I'm willing to bet it's less frequent than the Hallmark Channel movies. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. We can experience peace and that joy and that gratitude in the here and now. The reason we should feel gratitude is because the reason we have peace and joy is because God has said, when you feel anxious, I, I will take on that burden for you. Well, why wouldn't I be grateful? You're taking that burden from me. Paul continues to talk here about what examples we should be looking for. And, and I can tell you, this is a long list, and I'm not going to be exhaustive about it today. So I would encourage you to read verse 8 and read verse 9 and study this a little bit more after Sunday morning. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's referring to the Philippians here affectionately. He's saying, brothers, sisters, this is what you're supposed to think about. Read that as if Paul's writing it to you. Don't read it as if I just read it out loud or it's just on this book that's, that's old. Read it as if Paul's writing it to you. That is what leads the peace I just talked about. This is what causes you not to be anxious. And it's not always easy. In fact, I would argue it's never easy. In a room this size, there are some of you, if, if anxiety was a spectrum, there are some people that are here, like this is like zero, and there's some people that are like here, and this is like a 10. And this is what you go through on a daily basis. And whether it's all internalized or it's externalized, it happens. It's not easy. So what's this question we're asking? You guys, I know this is really annoying. This is why I said three times. So how can I apply the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Here's what we can learn from these two verses. You've got to discover the right examples. If you're chasing the wrong examples, you're going to end up in the wrong place. You ever follow someone, you know, like you're, you're driving somewhere and they're like, oh, just follow me, and they're terrible to follow? You, you ever do that? Come on. No one ever have trouble. Are you good? Do people follow you good? Because, you know, like you drive slow and you, you make sure you stop at the light so you, the car behind you doesn't get cut off or whatever. So imagine this. You're following the wrong example. So you're going to end up at the wrong destination. So right now, you need to follow the right examples. So if you're following the right examples, these are the right examples, this list. Whatever is true. Contrast this. Satan is the father of lives. God is the God of truth. We need to be focused on what is true, things that are in alignment with God's word. If you go and someone tells you something about God and you're really not sure about it, go back to your Bible and read passages or look at a concordance at the end of the Bible and say, okay, they said this about God. You know what? This verse says that's not true. Whatever's honorable one of, my, one of my professors in seminary defined it as this, the quality that elicits profound respect and honor, and in some cases even worship. This honorable. There was a sense of honor in our country for a long time, and it's slowly been eroded away. Little things, like opening a door for a woman. Like, hey, I'm going to open... I'm, you know, if you open a door for a woman, I've learned this because I do that, you're going to be there for like 15 minutes at a restaurant, okay? Like, you're just going to be like, and then my wife's like, oh, we already got a table. I'm like, sorry, I got to go. Is there anyone else that wants to be polite? You know, like, this is, this is something that just, this is honorable. It's just basic things. But it, but it doesn't mean just other Christians that we're looking to. It means if something is honorable, we should show respect. But then worship is reserved for God. Whatever is just. Whatever is just. God is the standard of what is right or wrong. What is right or wrong? What is right and just? Because of his grace, we are capable of doing things that are just. And God's justice is not defined by polls or elections or a government. It's defined by God himself. Whatever is pure. This word pure in Christian circles. Really, when you hear the word pure, there's one thing we think of. And it's basically many times referred to as about sex. And so 
It's not the case here, so that's not what it's talking about here. It's just, just that. It has a broader meaning. It means freedom or freeing from immorality. It means we need to be thinking of God and spiritual realities as we walk through our day to keep us pure, rather than get stained by the things that are around us. Whatever's lovely. This also makes me think of Hallmark movies. I don't know why. Lovely. I never hear the word lovely. But it means those things that bring delight to your heart. I have a confession. My wife has a scented candle addiction. I know that sounds like a confession for me, right? Here's my confession. Some of the scents I can't stand, okay, right? But there are ones that bring delight to my heart. I know, guys, I just said I like scented candles. That's my confession today. There are things that bring delight to your heart. What is lovely? What is lovely? You know what it's lovely? It's like last week my car wouldn't start and I'm stuck on the side of the road, but my daughter wants to have a conversation about the Holy Spirit. That was lovely. That was awesome. It's a sacrifice uh, in your life that you may have. It's the beauty of nature and those you love. But whatever is commendable is next. Whatever is commendable. And I think of pinning, pinning a, a medal on someone. It's a sacrifice someone made so that someone else could be saved. It's not just speech. It's not just something you say, but it's your actions. It's a sacrifice of those that earned a medal of honor. Most medal of honor recipients are actually already deceased. It's a sacrifice of a parent. It's a sacrifice of a spouse. It's someone giving a kidney to a stranger or helping with a liver transplant or someone that knows that they need that and still giving it away to someone that's younger. If there's excellence, now excellence is something that we, we pursue almost to a deficit in our character sometimes where we're like, this needs to be better. And we try to insert our own will on what's going on. That is not what this is talking about. This is virtue and excellence, which is actually the character of God. It can only be found in the character of God. And if we pursue the character of God in our lives, it will never fail us. We need to have virtue. If there's anything praiseworthy, it's not limited to spiritual things. It's even more than that. And Matthew, Matthew 12, chapter 12, actually tells us that what we set our hearts on and our minds on shapes who we are. So I know this is, this is an odd reference, but think about it. If, if what we set our hearts and our minds on shape who we are, how many of us would really want to watch The Walking Dead? I mean, take that spiritually, right? I mean, like, you, don't want, you, you just don't want to be, like, I'm going to be a zombie for the rest of my life. What we set our hearts and our minds on shapes who we are. That's why what goes in comes out in some way. And we can be prideful and be convinced that that's not the case, but it will happen. It'll just happen. It, 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 it almost just like, it's almost like it comes out in little sweat droplets. It's going to happen. So if you are doing something that is, that is not praiseworthy, it will come out. Verse 9, I'm just going to summarize for everyone. This verse is actually a really important one. Um, especially if you're someone that others look up to. If you're in this room, most of us are above the age of 18, so we have someone that looks up to us. And even if you're younger than that, you have someone that looks up to you, maybe a younger sibling. This is so important. Practice what you've learned, received, heard, and seen in the Word of God. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, hey, practice what you've seen in me. Learn 
Learn, uh, practice what you've learned, received, heard, and seen in the Word of God. But he's saying himself. Paul's putting himself on trial here and saying, follow me and pursue me. Can we say that about the people that look up to us? That's why when there's a bad driver, I'm praying a lot more than I am getting mad. Because I know my seven-year-old daughter has picked up on that I get mad in the car if someone's driving slow, right? And so I've started to realize little things like that. So who is that person for you? And maybe it's not a child. Maybe it's a friend. You know, the greatest honor in my life has been times where I've had another adult come up to me and say, I really look up to you in blank area because I see this. Relish that. Cherish those moments. But realize that the only way that can happen is what it says at the end of verse 9. It ends with, we'll be with you. Who will be with us? The God of peace. The God of peace. When you're about to lose it at your job or in your home, remember that you have the God of peace. And maybe take a break. Take a, take a breath. You know, when I was a kid, there was a couple times where I saw my mom and my dad get in an argument. And there was a moment where I think both of them realized, like, the argument was going downhill. They weren't getting anywhere. And they honestly didn't really want to argue in front of us. So what they did, usually, was my mom or my dad went for a walk, took a break, they came back, and they always were much better. I think we don't do that enough. Because in our pride, we want to finish things now, and we get caught up in the moment rather than realizing that there's the God of peace that is with us. We have the Holy Spirit, and we come with peace and joy. And so the anxiety we're feeling, the things didn't go the way I wanted them to, the anger that's inside, we, we get frustrated. And yet it's, it's all a matter of changing our expectations. You know, I think because the way the world is right now, we try to live life on such a fast pace that we forget that maybe we're supposed to live at a little bit slower pace. So when you have interactions with others that maybe didn't go the way you wanted, slow down for a second. Think about what, what you could have said differently and then go to them and talk to them about it because we are going to have attack of our heart. Our heart is under attack every single day. It's not just our mind. It's not just the things we see, the things we hear. It's our heart. The seat of our emotions is where our emotions come from. So what? How can I apply the good news of Jesus Christ when we're under attack? When your heart is wanting to give in? These are moments when you have nothing left. Our hearts are under attack on a daily basis. And we need to change our expectations. And when we change our expectations, we have access to the God that has all the joy and all the peace you'll ever need. He has all the examples right around you and in his word. So we need to discover joy and peace in Jesus Christ. You know, when we experience disappointment, I think that's the hardest time to experience joy because we are disappointed. It's like someone knocked the air out of you and you're just like, <sighs> whether it's a loss of a loved one or it's, it's a, a career change or whether it's, just something you didn't want to do that happened or, or whatever it is. But on some level, no matter what happens to you for the rest of your life, there, there is peace that you can have. 
and there's joy that you can have. It says in the Bible that Jesus went to the cross and he still had joy. That is the example we have. Someone that's suffering to such a great extent but still has joy because they have a relationship with God. Discover the right examples. Any of you have discovered the wrong examples before? I'm old enough to discover some wrong ones. When I discover the wrong ones, what happens? It's like the one time I almost fell off the stage. (laughs) Some of you were here. It's like, oh, (laughs) you fall. But here's the thing about discovering the wrong examples is God picks us back up because he's there even when we're stumbling around. I'm not going to pray right now as at this time at the end of the, the sermon because we're going to take communion. I can't think of a better time. We're going to continue our worship with communion. You see in front of you if you're down here and then if you're up in the balcony, there's tables um, on the back on the two sides. I believe that there's a light on that one. And there's communion cups in front of you. So if you grab those, we're not going to observe communion right away. I have a a passage I'm going to read. But I've learned that if I don't tell you now, they aren't open and people are like scrambling. So I want to be clear about this, about communion. Communion and baptism are the two things that the church has been told for, for centuries. This is what you need to do to be the church. Because when we have communion, we are are worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, together. We are realizing that he died for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the pain of the cross for you and I. That same joy is the joy that can't be taken from us because we know he saved us. And if that is the case, and you believe that, that he rose on the third day, and he provides forgiveness of sins, then communion's for you. But but if that's not the case, I would just ask that you abstain and observe as we worship. Before we take communion, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26, where it says, this is at the Last Supper, it says, Now they were eating, and Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks and he gave it to them. Saying, drink all of it. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to spend some time, just a minute or two. Which honestly, you could spend more time at home this week. Spend some time in prayer and reflection focused on confession. Confessing both your sins but, but knowing that he has forgiven you already and there's peace and joy from that. We know that our joy and peace comes from Jesus Christ. So spend some time now and after that time of reflection, I will pray and then we will take the elements.